Taste of Country Nights with Evan Paul on demand, episode fifty with John Party. Last time I talked to you, you uh, said you were you bought your uh, wife some cows that she wanted, like for her birthday. How are the cows doing? Are they good? They're good. I saw them today. They're just being cows, living the cow dream. <laughs> Never seen a butcher shop. <laughs> John Party's one of my favorite people to interview, and I laughed so many times during this interview. I think you will, too. He's just the man. We talked to him about his new album that just dropped, Mr. Saturday Night, about uh, what's he doing on his farm, where he's building stuff, uh, his past when he was a lifeguard. We really had some fun with John on this one. We hope you do, too. Please give us a like, a subscribe, a comment, a rating. It all helps out. Thanks for listening to Taste of Country Nights with Evan Paul on demand taste of country nights evan paul here with mr saturday night john party what's happening oh it's happening i thought we'd play a little word association with the album just to kick it off so i'm gonna i'm gonna say a a title of a song and you give me the first thing that pops to your head neon light speed losers (laughs) fill her up miglob ultra the day I stopped drinking. I'm sorry, the day I stopped dancing. Definitely not the day I stopped drinking. <laughs> All right, and finally, reverse cowgirl. It's for your own mind. <laughs> Did you have a play on words for that on purpose? Uh, well, it's just a funny song, but... Some people, it flies right over their head. Really? Mm-hmm. You know what didn't fly over our heads that we caught on? Who came up with the idea for Mr. Saturday night and and Mr. Sa- like that is awesome. That's uh, I didn't write. I wasn't part of writing that song, but that's Benji Davis most likely. Um, yeah, I know that's that's a hell of a hook, and it's just like got this fun kind of swing to it. But at the end, the guy's just super lonely, and it's uh it's, it's, that's his songwriting. That's Music Row. That's songwriters in Nashville. That's that's why I record outside songs to put them as like, hey, this this is good songwriting. And it's still going on in Nashville. It's not like chasing stuff. There's a lot of artists chasing stuff. And I'm not one of them, as you can tell from his record. But there's still artists, or sing, there's still singer-songwriters in that, that, that become artists that are still writing which is cool stuff. And it's still out there. So I always want to kind of showcase, like, hey, that's really cool. I haven't heard Mr. Saturday Night because I missed her Saturday Night. And I was like blown away by it. So how do you decide, like you wrote five of these songs out of the, what, 14? Mm-hmm. How do you decide how many outside songs you're going to take per album? Best song wins. I could have wrote the whole record. Would it be as good? No. That's just my. That's just how it is. Regardless if I'm a writer, who's, who is a writer, my friends are writers. You know, like I could have had more songs on this record, but some of these songs I've had on hold or had with me for two years, and Mr. Saturday Night was one of them. and. It's just like the length of time that it kind of stands the test of time. That's just still, man, this is still great current song. And it's like, we got to bring it to life. What do you do like with outside songs? Like I've talked to like Jason Aldean and he said he has like three Dropbox folders. He's like the the ones he gets, uh, the ones he likes, and then the ones he's definitely going to put on the album. How do you sift through all the outside songs and where do you keep them? I don't know. The Dropbox thing's so annoying. I'd rather have a CD and then like tell them, I don't like this one, let's burn this one. But usually I have a folder of like 
just songs, but I actually don't even, I don't even do that. Like I just search for them on the email. I don't know. Keeps it fresh. <laughs> I like that. Do you flag emails or do you? No. What's the John Party email address look like? Like what's coming in? Are you getting spam or are you getting lots off? of lots of there's so much spam and <laughs> I mean everybody wants your email address these days. Like yeah, like something important, like something. Oh, I bought bought a refrigerator from Home Depot. I'm gonna need that email. <laughs> How about you just send the refrigerator to his address? <laughs> No, we gonna need that email <laughs> so I can send you stuff that comes into Home Depot. <laughs> so your email's just all day, yeah. probably. Anything you sign up with that is important on the internet, they want your email. Tractor Supplies got your email. Tractor Supplies got my email. Uh, Bass Pro. Uh, I mean, Home Depot, Lowe's. I mean, it's it's just uh, just how it is. Like, like yeah. Because as a buyer or something, are you just shopping? Like, man, having an account could be a lot easier. What they need? Email. An email and a damn password. <laughs> if you could talk to somebody from like 85 and like tell them like, hey, man, there's this thing called email and you're going to need a password. And you have to change that password every six months because people coming after that password and people coming after you. You may not know it. But they'll be out for it looking for you. Your credit card information that's on that account with that email I was talking about. So make sure that you have fresh passwords every six months. OK, see you in 2022. What does your dad think about all that? He is not on social media. So and he he. He has an email, and he he had to get used to being email, but that's as far as he went. Um, the day I stopped dancing, who taught you how to dance? Oh, let's see. My grandmother, my father, my mom, and it's just like a fun thing. We always, you know, was they may not have been musicians in my family, but they love music. And it's always been just kind of a fun thing to do. Are there any other male country artists that can dance as good as you or in the style that you do? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, uh, Thomas Rhett's like he, Thomas Rhett likes to dance. I mean, Walker Hayes definitely likes to dance, um, but that's just different style. Um, but no, I, I I I tell everybody like you know, don't knock it till you try it. I mean, go take lessons with your your significant other, and like that's like an um, it's almost like a learning step in a relationship with a significant other is like learning to dance together. Because hey, you're gonna find out if you can dance. Or if the other person, he or she can dance. and But it's fun. It's like something yeah. else than going to the movies or going to dinner. And, like, you get caught in just doing the same old stuff. So I always kind of put, hey, he's dancing, you know. You never know. It's still like a uh, an old school thing, but it's it's there. You still dance in your barn? I am. I ain't been home, man. Dang. It's been uh, been a, quite a, on the road. But we dance a little bit on the road. You know, you never know. Yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of being on the road, uh, your wife joined you on stage at Sturgis recently. Is this, uh, I don't know if it was Sturgis I was somewhere. Is this, uh, something that has to be planned out? Like I know Keith Urban's wife just kind of jumps on stage and he deals with it. Does, do you, are you like this summer? Like I'm going to come out on stage. No, I never, summer never wants to come out on stage. Like I have to pull her out. <laughs> really? Yeah. She, and sometimes I just do it to mess with her, but she does not want to be on. She wants to sit side stage. And that's it. Did, did anything crazy happen? Did you go to Sturgis recently? Yeah, no, we played Sturgis. Did anything crazy happen? I know Sturgis is always nuts. I mean, nothing crazy, but there's like some inappropriate contests that are really funny. <laughs> <You're> like, 
the air sex competition was pretty fun. What's that? Just everything you think like <laughs> that it would an air sex competition would be. <laughs> um, but it's you, a solo thing. <laughs> <laughs> there ain't nobody else there. Wow, that really paints a picture. Okay, okay. That was that was there was just a lot of fun. There's a lot yeah. of inappropriate, but not like crazy inappropriate yeah. fun stuff. And it's all about bikes and, and and building bikes or cars. And there's a lot of cool people. And it's a very old school festival. But it was cool to see, you know. And uh, we played on stage. And after every song, there'd be guys in bikes revving their engines. Like, rah, rah, rah. Yeah. Like, that was like their applaud. I like that. Ever thought about cool. putting that into a song, maybe? No, it was super obnoxious and annoying. <laughs> um, have you ever had a crowd interaction moment go wrong? No. Pretty good. You know, try to plan out stuff. Um, you recently celebrated your 10th year uh, since your first radio single, Missing You Crazy. Um, how do you compare success to what you expected 10 years ago now that you've made it? I never knew what to expect. All I wanted to do was live in the moment and make the best music I can. And so even though the first record wasn't like a radio success. So we had top 10, which let us got the album out. The album itself sold tickets in honky tonks and clubs to where we were selling more tickets than a person with their first number one. And we would just be plowing along doing the, the bar circuit. And I was on radio tour. So I learned a lot what radio, you know, what they want, what they lean on a little more, you know, time length and what, what, the playlists are because you got to listen to everything that's getting played and just kind of taking it and learning it. Like I said, I didn't expect anything. I was there to learn there to play music. And I look back and I, I wouldn't change a thing. Where do you see yourself in 10 years from now? Saying the same shit. I just told you. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny, man. Uh, I saw you on your dozer talking about building dreams. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what's the latest you're working on, man? Oh, that was that's a loader, by the way. Oh, sorry. Okay, it's all good. Um, we were we put. I'm putting in, on my 40 acres. There's nothing on there right now. So we I got a new steel building, and they're going to come set that up. But we built the pad for it. Oh, so that's uh, the pad where you level it out, and you have to set the foundation. The, the foundation, yeah. So we did that, and of course, I'm sponsored by Case Construction. And we should have got the dozer, but I was like, let's get this big-ass loader and use this. What's the difference? It scoops dirt and moves it, but it's a, it was an eight-yard bucket. So, like, one scoop of that would fill up, a, like, two scoops of that would fill up a dump truck. Got it. So, that's, it's big. I got so it. So, we can I could scoop dirt and move it, but the dozer would have been a lot more. But we were doing it for fun because we already used the dozer on our other shoot for Case because Case comes out and gets some social media stuff. I got I was like, well, let's use this big loader. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was like, but it did help. The main reason we did use the loader is because we had to build a big road. And the truck drivers would have a hard time going on this dirt road because it was up a hill. I see. And it could have been wet. So I, I had a nice level place where they. What a nice guy. Yeah, they could dump it all the rock easier. That's nice. And so you. I'd take the big loader because it's at such. I could go along. I could probably. I could probably run 50 feet with that one bucket of dumping out rock. And so I just built the road with the loader, and then we got the other tractors to smooth it out. I got you. Man, so it was, it was a little more safer. How are the cows that you bought summer? They're good. I saw them today. They're 
Just being cows, living the cow dream. Never seen the butcher shop. Um, I saw you got a pretty good golf swing. How would you say your swing compares to other country artists? It's it's good. I mean, it does, I've been golfing okay. I, I really need some lessons to, uh, man, I mean, I'll get on the green and then dude, it's over. The putts. Yeah. The putts. It's like if you're four putt, you know, and it's just like from here to your coffee cup. Yep. I missed that. I feel like you could fix that on the road, though, like putting on your tour bus or you know, like setting up a green or something. You can't fix anything by yourself in golf. Tiger Woods don't come out there with no instructor. <laughs> he don't, it's like he's, he's not coachless. Yeah, he's been yeah. coached his whole career, and he yeah. probably still takes advice. And yeah. My thing with golf is like you can go out and hit the ball all the want. If you're hitting the ball incorrectly, you're always going to hit the ball incorrectly. And so that's why I was like, I just need a couple good – coaching lessons and stuff to work on. And then that's what I'm kind of looking forward to. But I mean, we played nine hole. We played a nine hole course on Saturday. It was a lot of fun. It was all par threes. So we just had the irons and that was, we were just kind of going, that was a really good practice for chipping. Um, so I got to work on a little bit, but still would I take like a week of lessons? Heck yeah. I think everybody should do it. I'm trying to talk my band because they're all about golf right now. I was like, y'all need to take some lessons. Because you need to be coached and work on stuff. Right, right, right. So, but the swing, the drivers, it's been good. It's it's been really worse other times. <laughs> so it's been really good. Speaking of bands, man, could we ever see a reunion of you and Northern Comfort? Most likely not. But my my bass player that was uh, in North in Northern Comfort, he he was just at a show in Sacramento. We're we're all still good buddies, but. They're all busy, man. One's a farmer, one's a school teacher, one I don't know what the hell he's doing, and then one that's here lives in Nashville, works for Craig Morgan. When you were a lifeguard, did you ever save a life? No. The kids were so trained that it was just I was like the no running guy. <laughs> what to explain? Explain. Well, you know, you don't want kids running around the pool. I was like, <laughs> no running. <laughs> I had one kid <laughs> fell in the pool. The only thing that ever really happened, a, a, a kid fell in the pool with his clothes on, but he swam right out. Like, they're all pretty they're all pretty good swimmers. Did you do the whistle twirl? No, he swam right out. I mean, he fell. No, no, no. When you were sitting up there, did you know how to do the, you know how lifeguards just twirl their whistle all day? No, man, no, I didn't, no, no, didn't do that. No, no. I definitely got tan, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Finally, man, we Googled uh, John Party. The first thing that comes up is, is John Party related to Elvis? No. I mean, it'd be really cool. <laughs> yeah, man. Totally, man. <laughs> See, now I think you are, and it's a conspiracy. Uh, no. Oh, that's the best conspiracy theory I ever heard. I'm going to start it. John yeah. Party is uh, Elvis Presley. He plays it down, but he is. He has a key to Graceland. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, man, thanks for coming by. The album is great. Everybody pick it up. Mr. Saturday Night. It's a relic. Oh, thank you. And uh, we're going to bring in Billy Dukes from behind the mic to talk about this interview. I got to tell you, man, John Party's like one of my favorite country artists to interview. I'm not sure I love anyone in my life like you love John Party. It, it, I just love this guy. I <laughs> I love him. I I think I have him figured out. Like I've learned, I've interviewed him so many times that like I I just. I love. I, I've learned so many things and and ways to interview John Party that I I feel like it's it's just so fun for me. 
You know, I'll admit that, like, in the room for this interview, I didn't necessarily hear his humor like I did when I went back and watched and listened to the interview. Like, a lot of his dry sense of humor and those kinds of jokes uh, went right over my head in the moment. But then I caught him. And, and you know, I agree. I mean, he's super entertaining. Yeah, he is. I... So that's one of the things I love about him is that he's super entertaining and it's tough. Um, I feel like some people there's, I feel like if you don't know how to interview John party based off of just interviewing a bunch of times that you're not going to get the funniest John party because a lot of interviewing him is like, uh, the per, uh, proverbial jumping off a cliff per se. Now what I'll say to what I mean is, you can ask John Party a basic question. Like, he'll give you a basic, quick answer. And then mm -hmm. if you – the normal time or person would just, okay, and then go to the next question. But I've learned if you just don't say anything back and just sit there for like two seconds, three seconds – He'll keep going, and that's where the juice is at. Yeah, I think you got him there when you were talking about the Sturgis, the bike rally, and he started talking about some of the things <laughs> that he saw. Yeah, you yeah. know, at first he was just yeah. like, whatever, but then he's like, oh yeah, there was this yeah, one was thing. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, yeah. At first he was just like, you know, yeah, it's Sturgis, mm -hmm. man, it's crazy. And then I just, you just, I, th I think he just needs to think about it, and I think that. Because I've seen other interviews with him, and even like my first ones with him, I was just like, okay, cool, crazy things at Sturgis. So, and then, you right. know, but if you just sit there, he'll he'll unravel. I wonder if he's like that, like in his normal day-to-day -day life. You think his wife's like, hey, honey, what do you think about this dress? And he's like, it looks nice. Pause. Well, actually, yeah. it makes your butt look big. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't give John Party two or three seconds <laughs> after his initial answer if you don't want to hear the truth. Do you think we kind of caught him on a day? Because when you asked him about Mr. Saturday Night, um, he got pretty fired up about Nashville songwriters and like embracing the songwriting in Nashville, and he started talking about chasing. It sounded like like maybe he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder for some reason about that. Okay. I didn't really, I didn't think about that at the time, but now that you say something, I, I could totally see that. And um, I've noticed that for, from him, or I noticed that now from him, but I've also noticed that from other artists, um, you know, like Mary Morris circles around this town. Um, she, and, and talking to her, she talks about trying to outright the town, you know, and I don't know who, but other artists have told me that about like, I want to say like Randy Hauser or mm -hmm. someone about how there's just such great songwriting in Nashville. But I do wonder, yeah, do you think someone was like, you need to write this whole album? And he pushed back and was like, no. And maybe that's where that uh, passion for that came from. I think maybe more he's looking around at other artists because he says that there are artists who chase. And he didn't really expand on that too much, or, or and he certainly didn't name any artists. Uh, but I think maybe that's what he was talking about. Oh, okay. I got you. That makes sense then. I get it. I did a little research on this to see kind of if he's kind of putting his money where his mouth is. And he absolutely is. On his first album, he wrote, I think, 10 of the 11 songs. He either wrote or co-wrote them. His second album, he wrote 7 of 12. On his third album, he wrote 7 of 14. 
And then now on this fourth album, he's written five of 14. So he, he really is writing less in lieu of better songs. And I do think, well, I'm going to check that. I don't know if I think this album is his best album on a personal level, but I think it could be remembered as his best album, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Okay. All right. I mean, I trust what you say when it comes to like music, like being a critic on it, because you definitely show me the way a couple of times. I I agree with you. Well, it's just that some of his other albums have spoken to me on a personal level more, but I think objectively, I mean, this is a really strong album. Like he kind of turns it in from a production level a a little bit more. um, It's a little bit more contemporary without sounding like he's going pop or selling out or anything. I think it's just going to hit the the bullseye with country radio uh even harder than he has previously and he's done a good job of that yeah um i also i noticed that like some of the songs like uh because like heartache medication and some of the older ones have a heavy violin and band or uh what's uh what's the Mandolin. thing called that they no nah, the violin but played real fast the fiddle uh, fiddle yeah, yeah, yeah. It has a lot of that in it. Um and then I mean I've only heard a couple songs off Mr. Saturday Night as of this moment, but um, I didn't notice that as much. I don't know. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, it's there, but it, it, you're right. It isn't as noti- noticeable. Um, it's kind of part of a, a broader mix, I think. I don't know. I couldn't quite put my finger on it, and I even sort of asked him about that before we started recording, and I mentioned that, I, that it sounded a little bit more contemporary, and he agreed, but he didn't really spell out, like, what makes it so. And I'm not sure I can can either. Maybe I need to listen to the album a few more times. Uh, behind the scenes, fun fact: this wasn't uh, included in the podcast interview, but Billy, what he's referring to, John Party sat down, and while Billy was getting the cameras going, he asked him that. But John didn't hear you the first time, and you you didn't ask him again for like 30 seconds. What was going on in your head for that 30 seconds? I was probably just thinking, dang, I wish Evan would shut up so I could get my question in. (laughs) No, I don't. (laughs) You were brave, though. You re-asked it. I I didn't know if he was, like, ignoring you because, like, because he, I mean, I don't know. What you said is subjective, I guess. It could have been taken wrong. I don't know. So I kind of feel like I have a little bit of a role when an artist first comes in and sits down and I'm fiddling with the cameras. Like I want to make yeah, sure you do. I want to make sure that you don't burn any of your questions and that he doesn't tell any stories that might make good radio um or podcast fare. So I'm kind of trying to get him warmed up to the room and to us in, in kind of a complimentary way while being genuine and honest, but I, I kind of want to deflect him from anything that might be part of the interview. Yeah, and I appreciate that. You're really good at that. That's a that's a big deal. There's like um there's a lot of radio people that will only interview people, they'll only bring them in when their mics are live on the air and they'll only let them leave when their mics are live on the air, and that's for that same exact reason. So, I I'm a big stickler on that because I I don't want someone to come in and give me the juice while we're not even rolling tape. So, yeah, it's like I almost just want to stare at them and just not say anything. And uh, it helps when you come in with that, with just some small talk that won't um, make a conversation that we would need to record tape. That's got to be tough because, I mean, I mean, anything could turn into 
a headline, you know, he could be like, yeah, I just got my hair cut today, tried out something new. I don't know about that. And then that could be right. like a headline, like John Party hates sure. his new haircut. Yeah, you're right. well, you're, you're certainly right. I think in those cases, it's like, oh, hold on, hold on. Well, let's, hold on, right. let's, <laughs> let's say, you know, we just kind of stop a mid-sentence if we have to. Uh, and I think we've done that before. Yeah, hold on, let me start right. Yeah, don't say anything yet. Yeah, oh, yeah. Surprised me a little bit that he said his wife never wants to join him on stage. She seems like she really enjoys it on stage with him. And, like, I mean, she's pretty... I don't know how to put this like she seems like her Instagram page is a lot of her like it's her pictures of her and, and like a lot of Instagram influencers do. She yeah. doesn't seem like the stage shy type of artist. Yeah. And uh, he said that she just she likes to kick it side stage, which is a I don't like side stage. I mean, it's a it's a different view, but that's kind of a weird view to see a concert. But I get it. But no, I agree. The audio's terrible. Yeah, the audio's terrible. And like, I, I would have thought she would have watched it from like the mezzanine or like a box or, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. VIP lounge, right. I think, is where maybe where you want to be because you can hear good audio, see the stage good. You got some room. There's maybe a few cold beverages. And you're away from a the little, riffraff. A little, yeah. A, a little nosh. Like, that's where I think I would be I, if my wife was a country star. I wouldn't be side stage either. Uh, actually, I'd probably be at home watching television. I'd be like Dolly Parton's husband. Well, you got three kids. <laughs> You'd probably be at home with the kids. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's going to put the wraps on Taste of Country Nights with Evan Paul On Demand. Episode 50. Thank you so much for listening. Go ahead and hit that like, subscribe, rate, all that stuff. It helps us out on this podcast. And this podcast is part of the Town Square Media Podcast Network.